0: Welcome to I Spit On Your Podcast, a monthly horror podcast brought to you by the Sprinters of Horror. This is a time once a month where Jess puts down her bloody knitting needles, and Kelly steps away from the TV to discuss horror movies and sometimes other horror mediums with thoughtful analysis, research, and passion.
1: On this episode, we'll be discussing the psychological horror of isolation, survival, and gender in space horror through the films Alien and Pandorum. We'll also be celebrating the 40th anniversary of
0: Alien, so pick your poison and listen on if you dare. So, Kelly, why did we choose these two films for space horror month?
1: I think for for space horror, of course, the epitome of space horror is Alien, and that's a perfect perfect choice for this. And I personally wanted to choose Pandorum because it's a sci-fi horror film that almost nobody talks about, and I really wanted to to take a look at it, watch it and see what that movie had to say.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I can completely agree about Alien, like, to even approach anything about space horror, you have to talk about Alien or the Alien series in general, because they are so important to the genre as a whole. Pandorum was new for me, Um, and yeah, I'll I'll discuss more about my thoughts about that film as we get to it, but uh, I also feel, too, that When we were selecting films, I feel like there was still a a limitation on space horror. So I still feel like it's a genre that could be further explored because I know we talked about before, we get a lot more like aliens coming to Earth, but not a lot of times of us traveling outside of it.
1: Completely. And during the research, yeah, I was actually really surprised because there's actually not a lot of horror films set in space and on spaceships in space so you're right the 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 there were definitely limitations to it I mean Event Horizon is the other huge movie we could have chosen but that movie in itself though absolutely wonderful has its own set of themes and and you know and stuff like that so that would have been too big of an episode so maybe we'll revisit Well, yeah, revisit and rewatch Event Horizon in the future. But yeah, we went with Alien, happy anniversary, and Pandorum. So it's been 40 years of Alien and our beloved Ellen Ripley. So we think it's really important to talk about it. So Alien has been so extensively researched in so many areas that it's probably one of the most researched horror films ever and there's been many aspects that have been researched you know themes of motherhood gender politics posthumanism artificial intelligence rape reproduction biology race ethnicity and otherness and so, so much more. It's kind of ridiculous and amazing. But in the beginning, the production company 20th Century Fox was definitely not looking to create this incredibly intellectual type movie. Uh, really, they just wanted to replicate the incredible success of Star Wars. And um, there was that, you know, it was Dan O'Bannon that had a script that he was shopping around Hollywood. So they decided to to jump on that and then really Scott agreed to, to direct. And all he wanted to do really was to make a straightforward, riveting thriller. Again, not everybody really they didn't really set out to create the movie that Alien turned out to be. And its influence and everything was really kind of a shock to them. So what was really great about the script is that and it was quite unusual that the the victims of what we now can see it as sexual violation were actually not exclusively female And Dan O'Bannon actually acknowledged that this was an intentional thing. And there was an interview in 2002 for the documentary Alien Saga. And he says, quote, I'm going to attack the audience sexually. I'm going to attack the men. I'm going to put in every image I can think of to make the men in the audience cross their legs. So this idea of unwilling impregnation... It was kind of, it was essentially an element that the the creator stumbled upon by accident and Dan O'Bannon was initially searching for an interesting way that the monster or the alien or Xenomorph could embark and get onto the ship and then got the idea of uh, a member becoming pregnant with the offspring and then getting it into the ship. So Alien now is of course considered a complete horror classic and that chestburster scene is iconic. It's amazing, it horrified audiences, it's still quite impactful to date now. And those were real reactions by the crew and the actors, it was bloody, it was horrifying, and one of the most like jolting, terrifying scenes in cinema overall. And of course, an incredible example of special effects, incredible, you know, and everybody has been trying to essentially replicate that and use that as an influence ongoing. And so I read this article, it was called 40 Years On, What Can Ridley Scott's Alien Teach the Hashtag Me Too Generation. It was a pretty intense article. And essentially it was saying that, you know, Alien is telling us that humans are powerless to confront, you know, the terrors of the cosmos. And we may be afraid, but nobody's listening. And as we know, in space, no one can hear you scream. <laughs> so on Earth, you know, our predators hunt their prey to consume them kill and eat whereas alien deviates from this and it's you know the food chain or the evolutionary food chain of the xenomorph the creature is much more interested in impregnating humans as carriers for their babies right and uh, that in alien that can you know provoke such primal horror of of course violation sexual perversion and we know that the alien xenomorph is quite phallic That seems to be, you know, the whole Giger, you know, influence and everything. But there's so much more to that movie. Again, it's been so well researched that you could look into so many aspects of that movie and so deeply. So the Xenomorph desires not to kill and to eat, but to impregnate and definitely not consensually. So all of our humans are raped and Ripley our beloved Ripley is going to be raped and that's what she has to continuously fight against and of course that possibility is really quite horrifying you know you know over you know just being like stalked and killed eaten whatever the fact that you will be raped Uh, So, quote-unquote from the article, What enables alien to endure 40 years on is how it suggests men, as well as women, should fear rape. Sexual assault is not limited to female bodies. If alien makes one thing plain, it is that everybody, regardless of their gender, suffers if sexual violence is allowed to take place unopposed. And we know, right now, the state of our society and sexual violence and rape and everything is still still problematic. We're still not doing what we need to do for these people. So Alien has a lot to say and it's such an incredible movie. And it's been 40 years and there's so many things happening to celebrate this incredible movie. There's even a two-day symposium called 40 Years of Alien that's being held at Bangor University in May. And I wish I could go. God, there'd be so many like intellectual lectures and seminars and everything. It would just be absolutely fascinating.
0: So one of the great things about the Alien Series 2 is is the special effects. So when that came out in the 1970s, and the early 1980s, Alien changed the landscape of how sci-fi cinema was going to go about. And typically it was around the idea of kind of the monster leading the plot of the series as it continues on. But it definitely had um, an amazing practical effects that could be really terrifying and, and was terrifying. And one of the great things about the film as well is that Scott, really Scott, wanted to make space relatable to people, and what's really great about Alien is that when you meet the Nostromo crew, they are all blue-collar workers who are just earning a living, they're just trying to make a wage, or trying to get their cut of the percentage, and that's what makes Alien more disturbing to people, is that space can actually be grungy, it can be messy, it can be like not a nice place to be because like typically before we've seen other films where space like like beautiful, pristine, streamlined, everything's white, like space, uh, an odyssey there, right? It's like, it feels almost like unattainable, but yet in this film, in Alien, it feels like it's isn't attainable to be in space, and that we could get there. But there's also this impact of whatever we put ourselves out there, we're exposing ourselves to something that's alien and foreign to us. And so that's one another thing about the series in Alien. It, it helps to reveal attitudes towards foreigners and different cultures, and how aliens either hide in human form, um, such as like you know in just being just dated inside a body, or they're going to appear in a non in a real non-human form. And as we see as when we see the Xenomorph. And as Kelly has already uh, expressed, there has been so much written about the series Alien and all the ideas that it represents, you know, and especially to like all the sexual imageries and how a creature can pervert the human reproductive cycle and how that's terrifying to human beings, but also so many other themes of survival, reproduction, homosexuality, sexual repression, sexual stereotypes, and and the breaking of gender roles. And this is seen in, like, various elements of the cast of the Nostromo. You know, you get uh, Kane, who is, uh, he's considered a symbol of male homosexuality, and he's penetrated by a facehugger. Terrifying scene ever. I never, never, oh, facehuggers. No, thank you. No, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) I
1: love that you're horrified by the the facehuggers more than the xenomorphs, and I am horrified of xenomorphs.
0: Would rather deal with a xenomorph. Than a fucking face hugger. <laughs> <laughs> they scurry around. They jump out of nowhere. Ugh. No thank you. No thank you. Ugh, that's fair. You get Ash, the robot, who has these sexual urges, and he's incapable of um, expressing these urges because he's a robot. So we always there's always talk around that infamous scene where he's fighting Ripley and he's shoving the porno magazine down his throat and that's his penis circuit. But it goes on, right? When we see the different roles of like Parker, and we'll also talk about Lambert, and I'll bring up something about Lambert later on in this podcast episode some interesting ideas around her as an individual. But also one of the great things about Alien, and especially in the last 40 years, is we have termed it, they've termed it in the in popular culture as the rise of the Ripleys. So we know that the role of Ellen Ripley was actually originally written for a man, but they changed that, and it was Ridley who brought in um, Sigourney Weaver to breathe, breathe uh, fresh air into the sci-fi genre. Having Ripley become the lead character halfway during the movie was able to use a gender, switch switched to gender norm where it was predominantly owned by men. So sci-fi films were predominantly uh, ha- male focused and women were typically just a damsel in distress. And here we have an, a character like Ripley who is, she's a woman who is well-rounded, she's intelligent, she's confident, she's not afraid to be unliked, which is hugely important in this series, and she's just a badass. And that's something that Alien did for uh, women in sci-fi, is it raised the bar. However, it's kind of sad that it took 40 years later, like in 2016 and 2017, we're seeing films like Mad Max, Star Wars, Jessica Jones, Stranger Things. We have all these strong female characters that are coming out and they're all relevant individuals. But even though it's still important to recognize that 40 years ago, this amazing character was created in this phenomenal series and it's still impactful even 40, 40 years later today.
1: So the first film we're going to talk about is, of course, Alien. my story about Alien, I'll try to, I'll definitely keep it short because it's been in my life for many, many years. So I saw Alien probably way too young and it absolutely horrified me and produced nightmares for many years so much that I actually didn't revisit the whole series for probably 15, 20 years. Not even joking. It horrifies me. And this month has been the most horrifying month of my life in a very long time, because I've been watch. I've watched the entire series, all of those new 20th Century Fox Alien shorts, uh, fan fiction films, so many things. And I've just been horrified oh for, like, the last 30 days. <laughs> I agree. Same here. So about eight years ago, I finally did revisit Alien and Aliens, and I was still goddamn horrified. And, like, true feelings of fear. Like, I feel that, like, that anxiety of fear, the dread. I just gasp, and I jump, and I just, I can't even. So re-watching Alien... This time around, I have a box set, and I pretty much watch all of the newer edition, like special collectors editions, and they're all two and a half hours long. And I noticed something in Alien that I've never noticed before. So, that the very first kill of the Xenomorph, when Jonesy is running into that back room, there's chains and you know things hanging around uh, with uh, that gentleman's name who I always forget. Just like one of the mechanic yeah, types. I know who you're talking about. Anyways, so he's looking around in. And- the camera points upwards and there's like that light coming in, the water trickling down and the chains kind of moving back and forth. And there is a goddamn Xenomorph just hanging out up in there. And I had never seen that before. Maybe because I've never seen this, um, this edition of the movie before, but I, I literally jumped out of oh my, my God.
0: skin. That, that, that uh, scene is terrifying <laughs> enough as it is, but to think like you see the Xenomorph and you know that the guy doesn't see the Xenomorph or just like, fuck.
1: Exactly, and uh, I've just been horrified all month, and also I've been having nightmares again, so that's great.
0: <laughs> um, well, my story is similar, but not like, okay, so I knew all about the Alien alien franchise. Everyone would talk about it to me tons of times, like, have you ever seen it? No, I'm a terrified of extraterrestrials, just flat-out terrified. Um, when I was a younger kid, I used to watch a lot of, like, uh, I was addicted by alien stuff and like we're really really freaked out, so I would never watch any of these things. And I really was gonna stay away from this this genre of horror because <laughs> it really still scares me. But like I talked about in my very first blog post of the month, is I had a coworker who kept calling me Ripley when I was the supervisor of their department, and I said I don't understand why you're calling me Ripley. I know who she is, but why are you calling me her? And he's like, you need to watch the films. And so I was like, you know what? I'm curious. I'm gonna watch it and of course I watched Alien and then Aliens and understood why he was calling me Ripley which was quite an honor but that's when I saw it and I was terrified and I am still terrified like even like Kelly Express watching these films again uh, makes me have nightmares
2: so
0: yeah
1: (laughs) (laughs) so fantastic it shows just such great great films
0: so what did you like so what I (laughs) (laughs)
1: What I like about Alien, I almost essentially am going to say everything. That movie is absolutely pure, pure magic. And I love everything about it. The creature design, the acting, the storyline, of course Ripley, the atmospheric dread that's in it. I love space horror and sci-fi horror overall. I wish there was more specifically of it. There's not, like we talked about earlier, just there's not enough of it. And I love it because it's a perfect place for terror. Jonesy, Mm. there's a cat in this movie that lives, which is amazing. (laughs) I love Jerry Goldsmith's ominous and minimalistic score, the ending that has like probably the most effective amazing jump scare of all time yeah. and it's so perfect i just absolutely love everything about that movie and i'm so glad that i got to rewatch it it's it's one of those movies that horrifies me and i love it so much but i don't revisit it very often because it just is it's too scary <laughs> <laughs> How about you, Jess? What do you like I'm about it? I'm pretty
0: much the same thing. I pretty much love everything about this film, except for one element of it that I'll just say in a little sooner than later. But, um, yeah, the imagery, the score, the basic practical effects, the fact that you know that the alien is the most terrifying aspect of the film, but you don't see it. You do not see the xenomorph barely ever. And like you said, there's those moments where it's just so perfect, where like it just kind of shows up and it's there. Like, especially... You know, like the very first kill, and like I said, I can't remember that character's name either, but when, you know, You're looking at the image of the cat, and the cat starts hissing, and then, you know, you you turn back, and you know the alien is, like, dropping itself behind him, and you're like, oh, my God. Like, Uh, yeah, right? Like, see, like, (laughs) scenes like that. The fact that it is so well done, it's just such an atmospheric film. That's what I really enjoy about it. And, yeah, I remember when I first watched it, I'm like, if she doesn't fucking save that cat, I'm done. Like, she needs to go back and rescue (laughs) Josie. And the fact that she does, I'm like, yes. I love you even more Ellen Ripley for saving your cat, especially cuz it's an orange tabby and I'm like holding my orange nope. tabby be like save the cat. <laughs> no crew members exactly, left behind, right? So is there anything you dislike about this?
1: Not at all. So like I said, I think this movie is absolute pure magic and it is in my top 5 horror movies of all time for a reason and for all those reasons I already stated. And after rewatching it this time around, it might have kicked out The Exorcist as my favorite horror movie oh, of all really? time. I'm
0: going to think okay. on it.
1: I think I'm going to think on it. Yep. Interesting. Because yep. I absolutely goddamn love it. Yes.
0: <laughs> so are we going to have a month where we do The Exorcist series? Oh, dear God. <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, maybe. <laughs> to contend with that so my only dislike for this film is the character of ash which is probably what everyone is supposed to feel is they're not supposed to like this individual at all but he definitely got under my skin a lot of times and I remember as a character he bothered me the first time I watched it so I was not surprised the second time watching it that he, he bothered me even more with all the information and knowledge that I've obtained over the last two months he's definitely a very problematic character and definitely the antithesis of the corporation and what patriarchy does to strong women but it's definitely the one thing i don't like about him which is probably a good thing which makes it an overall really good film so yeah
1: that's fair he is quite disgusting and i also felt that way doesn't make me dislike the film but i do dislike him but overall yes he was quite he's gross yeah <laughs> <laughs> just disgusting exactly totally.
0: So, yeah, so one of the biggest uh, themes and elements in the film uh, Alien is gender. And Kelly, you want to start talking to that? Definitely. So before the release of Alien in 1979,
1: women in sci-fi... Just touched on this briefly earlier, but they were pretty minimal. They had minimal characters, very small supporting roles, or they didn't have very empowering type roles. They were very generic supporting roles, or they were the quote-unquote bimbo in space type character. Men all had the great leading roles. They were pilots. They were scientists. They were smart and probably handsome. The women were novelty. They were decoration. They were, you know, sexually charged, erotically charged, and sometimes it seemed as though they had an important role, but it was more of a facade, so they may have been a scientist, but they were, of course, maybe busting at the seams in a tight uniform, (laughs) and then, you know, so they were still sexualized, but you couldn't really take them seriously, only for them to, in this apparent facade of a strong role, to shy away from conflict and then require a man's help. So as we know, the original script for Alien, the j- characters' genders were interchangeable. It wasn't really a prominent thing. Anybody kind of could have been anyone, and this was really an unusual feature for a sci-fi movie at the time. Which meant that, as we know, Ellen was Ellen Ripley was never really con- initially conceived as a woman at all. Which is interesting. Which might make you know explain why her behavior as a character and as a woman didn't conform to those sexist stereotypes like i described earlier you know we have ripley who is a complete reversal of that gender role that we're seeing she's the opposite and in alien we actually pretty soon into it once people start dying we kill our most masculine male the very handsome wonderful tom scarrett dallas our dallas character which is huge you don't kill them off right yeah Right? Exactly. he was the second one to die in that horrible horrifying horrible vent oh. death. Yeah. No, but nobody go into <laughs> vents. And if you watched our live stream of Jess playing Alien Isolation, I and mean, she's like, "Oh, I have to go in that vent?" I could see her like the color drain from her face. She's like, "Oh, no. No, no, no. I don't go into vents. That's where they are." I'm like, I know. That's so why yeah. that game's so horrifying. You don't go into vents in any fucking movie. Event Horizon, you don't go into vents, right? Horrifying no, things happened no. in there.
2: <laughs> so Ripley
1: is, she's intense. She's in control. Like Jess said, she's not afraid to be disliked and make those hard decisions. And she fights without hesitation. And at the end, she fucking blows the alien into space. You know, she. I'm sure there are moments that she was afraid, but, you know, she had had to do. She had to save herself, she had to save her cat. She had to save, you know, as many crew members as she could. You know, she's unapologetically tenacious. She's strong. She's kind of sexy and she's smart, you know, and her story arc continues throughout the franchise and it's an incredible one.
0: In terms of like gender, Um, In doing the research for this episode, a lot of the same um, ideas would come up with a lot of discussion about the, of Ellen Ripley and how she was busting gender norms, you know, the talk about Kane and his uh, repressed homosexuality, um, Ash and his whole sexual repression and, you know, the whole idea of an android actually having a gender. But what was really interesting was an article I came across um, called Why, Why Aliens' Gender Politics Run a Lot Deeper Than Ellen Ripley. And this was an article uh, written not long, about two, about a year or two ago. And actually, no, sorry. It was written this year because it talks about how 40 years later, the, the film of Alien is still subverting gender norms. And this was because the idea that your author brought up is our poor, poor Lambert, because you really feel for this character throughout the film, um, and seeing Lambert as a trans woman. And I thought this was a really interesting idea that this author had brought up. Uh, Joan Lambert representing the antithesis of Ripley's progressive feminist values. She's throughout the film when we look at Lambert, she seems unsound. She seems terrifying. She's, she's terrified. She's emotionally irrational. You know, she's just like when you watch the film, you're just like, of course you're gonna root for Ellen Ripley because she's a badass and she's taking charge. And you're like, of course you're gonna look at Joan and be like, stop freaking out like calm or like you know you're 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 being the typical woman in this film of just going into hysterics but in this article when they say when you you step back and you look at Lambert as a as the idea of a trans woman it changes the way you observe her in this film it changes how you look at gender in this film as well and it's actually much more darker uh, film in this idea and the reason that this article came up and they discuss is that in Aliens the second film you see a very brief clips of the bios of the crews um, when they're talking to Ripley about the crew of the Nostromo, and they show this one clip where they say, Lambert, in quotes, despite conversion of at birth from male to female, so far there are no signs of suppressed trauma from gender reassignment. And so you sit back and you think, whoa, I did not even realize that. And it's like And It kind of like makes a little bit more sense about the idea of uh, Lambert's... Um, kind of almost like detachment and kind of like uh you know very what's the word I want to say like I can't even think of it just like when someone when someone is just like at they're just accepting life but they're not really just living it they're just like I'm here you want me to do something complacent complacent there you go but in a very um dejected type of way and so you wonder, wonder, is Lambert suffering from gender dysphoria? She looks dejected when she has to, uh, has to leave the ship to go and explore. When the chest-bursting scene is happening, is, is they relate it to the idea of she's unable to menstruate, so there's that idea of you know not feeling comfortable in your own skin or in your own gender. And of course, the very controversial death scene of Lambert, what we consider the rape scene, is before you just watch it like okay it's a woman she's she's being raped by the alien this is very upsetting this is very you know very controversial but then if you look at it as lambert as a trans woman it's this idea is even more controversial because the idea of having your genitals sexually violated by a monster is horrendous especially already as a trans woman already trying to understand the reassignment of your gender and i always wonder one, I really wish they could gone in more depth and explored that more because it's like, well, why in this, this um, realm of the, I don't want to say, in the world of the alien series, why would they do a gender reassignment?
1: Yeah, it's kind of crazy. And uh, when I saw that Jess was was looking into this. Uh, this article, I was blown away because I was like, who even noticed this? I literally just watched Aliens a couple of days prior, and it's very small on the screen, so you'd have to, like, stop it and enhance it. Enhance, enhance. (laughs) And to see it, you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Where is this even coming from? You're right. Why did it happen at birth? Was this something done to her? Because it doesn't, like you said, you totally quoted it. Despite conversion at birth from male to female, blah 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 I was like well who did this and why what is even happening it's it's kind of crazy and yeah why what it's I'm I'm kind of my mind is kind of blown on yeah. this whole thing actually currently I can't even you're right you kind of want to look at Lambert in in a different way her death scene has always been theorized as being a rape scene and I have to tell you I looked at um, a, a previous potential scene for her death in it is upsetting, especially now Mm. that I can see that. Like, rape is, of course, upsetting overall. Um, But it has her cowering against the wall, and the alien like, on all fours, coming towards her with his tail, its tail, up between its legs, and it's the most phallic imagery i think i've seen in the entire franchise like he's coming towards her at all fours with this huge tailcock between his legs I'm like what's even happening and maybe she was actually raped which kind of goes a little bit against all the other aspects of of the species but it's yeah kinda messed up.
0: exactly so when reading this article i was i was blown away and i want to go back and re-watch the film with this different uh, mindset And also see that, like, Easter egg in Aliens. But it's really interesting and it's really fascinating. It says a lot about this film. The fact that it is still saying things about gender today, 40 years later.
1: Completely. Completely. That was a great find. Great find.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So, coming into my thoughts about the movie. Well kind of all over the place about this film um, because of so much there is so much you can talk about and so much you can really dive into and think about and I remember when sitting and watching this like I remember the first time sitting and watching it I was just watching it because I was terrified and I was like I have to make it through this film and now watching it again uh, for this podcast and getting ideas from it there's just so much to I want to like digest like the fact that the ship's intelligence is called mother and there's so many references to Nostrombo as being like the womb you know you have how uncomfortable Ash is with Ripley and that constant like back and forth pull between these two characters between Ash and Ripley and how Ash, because he's an actual android created by the corporation to go onto this space mission and find this this, uh, xenomorph species, you know he's representative of the corporation he's representative of of the patriarchy and how uncomfortable he is around Ripley who is a strong independent woman who's not afraid to speak her mind, who's not afraid to make hard decisions she's not afraid to question um, authority when she needs to and so this is interesting dichotomy to have like Ash and Ripley going head to head and you're like, this is literally the corporation corporation and feminist values patriarchy and feminist values coming at head to head and how uncomfortable men feel around strong women how uncomfortable the patriarchy feels around strong women how they can't and like even like all of ash's rationale story don't make sense and you can tell that she's like i'm calling you on your bullshit but okay you want to make it sound like it's not bullshit but it's bullshit to me and that's what I love about, and so even though I hate the character of Ash and he's disgusting, especially when he's dying and like the white, uh, his white blood and how in a lot of articles they always like call that like semen. I'm just like, oh, that's, so gross. that's so gross. I frankly am I'm more, I'm
1: more disturbed by the by their innards that are all like these round balls. You know what I mean? They have, like, these strips of, quote-unquote, tissue, and, like, their innards, and then there's, like, the, the, like, egg-looking balms that are all throughout them, and then it's all white. It's gross.
0: Yeah, well, that's what I mean. Like, everything about the construction of the androids is weird to me, but especially that. And then also, too, I couldn't help but go back to the character Dallas and his guilt, because it's really interesting that he is the captain of this ship. And you can understand where he's coming from, like, one of his crew members have been attacked by alienating species, you know, he's forcing uh, Ripley to break quarantine, to bring in this, this alien species onto the ship so they can try and save Kane, and the fact that this face hugger, you know, dies and scurries away somewhere, you just, you feel like every, all the decisions he makes after when, after the alien bursts out of uh, Kane's chest, and everyone's like, okay, and it runs away, which is, <laughs> I have to say, like... That scene's terrifying when the alien bursts out of the chest, but then I always snicker a little bit when I see it <laughs> run away because <laughs> like, it's just sounds so know, hilarious. Right? Like, does this little thing like scurry across the table, and you're just like, "Oh my god, that's horrifying!" It ha, makes ha, this ha, little noise, <laughs> and you're like, "Wait a yeah. second!" <laughs> yeah, exactly. But it's so interesting that he carries his guilt because he's like, okay, he's potentially unleashed something on his ship. His crew's in in danger because he broke quarantine. He, and he, so he feels like he has to take on this massive, you know, um, attempt to uh, push the alien, to push the xenomorph to the, to the uh, cargo bay where they want to shoot it out there. And I thought, I remember just thinking like, yeah, I can understand why you would feel guilty why you have done this. And just sometimes when, like, men are feel like when they, that idea of like, when men feel guilty about something, they make really irrational decisions or they just don't want to listen to the rationality of other people. And it's interesting too because, like, Ripley jumps in and says, okay, well, because you fucked up, I'm going to go in and fix it. And I thought that was interesting too. Or, like, Because especially when, like, they're talking about going back and forth to who's going to go into the air shaft. And she's like, I'll do it. He's like, no, 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 I'll do it. She's like, no, 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 I can do it. You're the captain. He's like, no, 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 I'm doing it. And that's where I'm like, oh, yeah, he feels fucking guilty for what he's unleashed on his crew. Of course he wants to go in. But I'm like, Ripley, like, you were right the whole time. You should be like, hey, dude, like, I was right. You were wrong. But I think it's interesting, too, because they had this. I, I remember there was one point where they had talked about, in an article about potentially the character of Ripley and Dallas mm-hmm, having a relationship mm-hmm. and there was a like, potential and it was like maybe that was maybe that keeping that in was like an element of that but they didn't they didn't want obviously want to focus on which is I'm so happy they didn't do that like I'm really glad they did not create a relationship between those two because that would have been just what's really taken away from the film I liked the fact that it was, everyone was kind Total, of separate yes in a that's way. a
1: that's a great point I noticed in, and agree and Respect and value and appreciate that for sure that there's no romance in it. Um, I yeah. loved seeing how these characters were just real people. You know, there are no archetypes necessarily. Exactly, yeah. They're not caricatures of human beings. You know, they're just real folks on a ship. And what I noticed this time around was really there was nothing necessarily sexist among those characters. I found everybody kind of just treat each other like with respect and they are co-workers are all, you know, there to do their job. Um, women, you know, weren't necessarily treated in any different way. There seemed to be mutual respect for everyone. There was this one scene, um, once the, they noticed the face hugger has fallen off of Kane and now they're in the med, medical bay looking for it and the facehugger falls on top of Ripley it's dead but it falls on top of her she screams (laughs) and falls back obviously and Dallas runs over and like goes in front of her to protect her putting himself between her and the facehugger that might go into maybe there is that undercurrent of a a romance I kind of just looked at it as him protecting a crew member and I could see him doing that for any of his crew members so I just liked that there was a little bit of like joking back and forth between everyone but they were just people on a ship doing their job and you just don't see stuff like that often at all there's always yeah. got to be some gross dude being gross to women you always have to have that guy right mm-hmm. you know and it's yeah and, and I just really enjoy just watching people be people and I wish more movies did that for sure I agree yeah it was interesting going back into that that we have this alien kind of shows and it's going back a little bit something i said earlier but they have this powerful female lead she ended up becoming the lead at at you know in the beginning it seems it's more of like an ensemble cast there's not going to be anyone that really takes control and then it's her and that's fantastic and so we have her with a gender neutral script and it really shows that no humans are safe so it doesn't really matter who you are which really of course makes Alien the most terrifying because it doesn't matter, it does not matter who you are, you are going to die which is absolutely terrifying (laughs) so a common theme in a lot of uh, sci-fi or space horror movies is the idea of like isolation but really like time running out so it creates tension and it can elevate the horror and it's, it's seen in a lot of, it may not even be space horror but in Movie set in space overall. And you can see it through the construction of a ship, destruction of a ship, and really you can see it to the advantage of the antagonist. So, like an alien. And it ends up being like this perceived acceleration of time. So, you're going from scene to scene. It's kind of erratic and it's increasing the tensions and the fear of us as movie watchers. I know that immediately makes me have more kind of like dread and anxiety watching a movie. And and you always have these people, so they have to go off and work alone, because they have to be most efficient. Okay, you're going to go work on this, and you're going to work on this, but then we're splitting up. You never stay as a group when there's safety in numbers. Everybody's always splitting up <laughs> to do their different tasks, and then they're left alone, and nobody can help you, let the group. and you're no longer safe. So you're easy to pick off. And, like, this happens in a lot of movies, <laughs> So you have all this stress on these characters to multitask yeah. in this quote unquote acceleration of time. And it just creates more and more tension and stress. We feel like we're in a rush. But, so it feels like time's speeding up, but it's actually not, you know, and, Oh, it provides such dread in me. I was like, Oh my God, we have to like yeah. get this, get the cat in the carrier. And she's like, Oh fuck, I forgot the cat. And she's running around. And I was like, Oh my God, Ripley, it could be anywhere. And now there's like all these sounds. So you can't hear anything. That zinoma could literally be at any corner that you turn around in. Like it's just, I can't even. I'm, I have anxiety right now. <laughs> and then like, <laughs> ugh so losing control is a strong element also in sci-fi horror. Again, we're having our characters multitask under the serious pressure and sometimes they're unable to complete their objectives so they're having complete they're struggling because they're like, oh my god there's like maybe this thing around me and we have no, we have five minutes and of course the five minutes turn into like 20 movie minutes and like, like they're trapped and then you can see their weaknesses and you know we end up understanding why they kind of all got there in the first place. So in Alien, it's like, it's such, it's pure space horror. They're literally trapped on a spaceship with the xenomorph, and you cannot go anywhere. And that's why I love space horror movies, because, like, you're screwed, pretty much. You're screwed in so many ways if anything, anything happens. You can't go anywhere. You can't ask for help. You just have to deal with it. Either you jump ship which is not always an option, because maybe your escape pod's now damaged, and you can't go anywhere, so you just, you have to face them dead on, which we definitely see in Alien, they're like, yep, let's just kill this, you know, Parker's like, I'm gonna go Mm -hmm. kill this fucker right now, you know, (laughs) (laughs) and it's just, it's so absolutely terrifying, and it's perfect design for that ship, because you never know where that xenomorph's going to be happening, and it's, space is horrifying. (laughs) It's horrifying, and it's also really reminiscent of, I find, deep space, uh, sorry, deep sea horror. A lot of similar elements, so you're in the vastness of the sea, of the ocean, and similar things happen, like if you're in space, if you breach the hull or something, you can get sucked out, it'll, you know, release all your oxygen, then you have T minus 10 minutes of oxygen being depleted, you're like, okay, well, then I guess I'm dead. And then like, so in deep sea stuff, you can have the the water rushing in, which is also an absolute fear of mine. Mm -mm. So they both definitely keep me afraid. And I love both of those genres. So it's, uh, oh, I feel anxiety now. And Jonesy. (laughs) (laughs) We always have to talk about the cat because it's amazing and there's so many times where the cat's like and she's like shh it's okay it's okay I'm like stop shush- shushing the cats cats hate being shushed <laughs> it sounds like a hiss no wonder why he hisses at you ripley i know you love him he i'm sure he loves yeah. her too
0: <laughs> you can't help but fall for a character like ellen ripley like As Kelly says, like when you start with the film, you seem like it's an ensemble crew. Ripley doesn't come out to be a leader of the film until about 45 minutes into it, and she's forced into this position um, after the death of Dallas. But what I love about Ripley as a character, in that she represents and has Carrie's elements, is that she's a curious individual. She's brash, she's outspoken. Uh, You know, I love when the guys are like, um, her, not, no, they're, they're like, um, hazing her or kind of like making poking fun of her when she's down like helping them fix things and she's just like why don't you just go fuck off and they're like what she's like (laughs) walks away totally right
1: (laughs) just like so nonchalantly and I was like I just want to hug you exactly
0: right like she just she's not afraid to speak her mind and she seeks out knowledge and she's willing to take action when she needs to and even while blowing the alien out into space, she's still seen as human. She's still seen as relatable. You see moments where she's feeling fear. You see the moments when she's feeling like she's trying, like she's panicked, like that scene where she's with Ash, Parker, Lambert, and, you know, they're trying to figure out what they're going to do. And Parker's like, I'm just going to fucking kill this thing. And she's like, why don't you just shut up? And you could tell she's trying to keep her cool at the same time as, you know, come up with a plan. And that makes her someone that we can relate to. And she also has this compassion she she's able to put compassion aside for the greater good and that's what she has to make the hard decisions and as i talked about in my last blog post the whole quarantine scene is a really powerful scene because you know not only does it kind of relate to a bit to reproductive rights but it relates to an idea that sometimes we have to make hard decisions for the greater good for the for that of, her, of the crew and if they maybe would have just like followed ripley's orders and not violated that Probably well, we probably wouldn't have a movie, so we <laughs> <There> wouldn't <were,
1: laughs> have this amazing movie. But <laughs> yeah, we wouldn't have
0: this movie. But she, you know, she had to make this hard decision, and I know that there's a scene in the in the, that was cut out in the film. and You maybe saw it in like the director's cut where I guess like Lambert like attacks her and like smacks her and calls her a bitch for being you know, like yep. you're gonna leave us out there and I'm just like yeah, that makes me unpopular, but we have rules she's also trusts her own instincts when she does research to investigate things like she knows that she feels that there's things about ash that makes her suspicious she knows that that signal from that spacecraft just seems weird that the space officer can't decipher anything but yet she ends up finding out that it's actually more of a warning than it actually is a call for help and yeah so not afraid to speak her mind and as kelly said jonesy you know what no no cat lady (laughs) leaves her cat behind and that's what makes her amazing (laughs)
1: <laughs> exactly. Ugh, the cat. We're cat ladies, yeah. so of course we're gonna always talk always. about the cats. Always. <laughs> uh, another aspect of space war that you can see uh over and over again is kind of this concept of repetition. So you see kind of two scenarios the repetition of actions in case of time travel events or black hole events, and the repetition through memory or trauma of the survivors. And so a moment of trauma can repeat itself to recreate the horror of it all. And it's intensified by showing it not as a singular episode, but as a series event. So like multiple nightmares, you know, I'm going to say like daydreams and stuff like that. And time is bound to this one incident. And of course, that promotes horror for everyone because it shows a lack of lack of alternatives. And this is then sometimes used to create sequels, of course. Uh, so the repetition of these traumatic events is often most effective if we see it at the end of the story. It's more so you can see it in at the end of Event Horizon. Where that, uh, I think there's only one, that female character, I forget her name, but she survives and then she like wakes up from a dream but she's having the nightmares that things happen. They're like, no, 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 it's okay. And they're like, you're, you're safe now. It's like, is she really? Did this all just happen? You know, that's kind of... What that means. So it shows that the horror, you know, that you thought ended doesn't actually, and then it continues to haunt their survivors. So that woman's going to have nightmares probably for the rest of her life in yeah. the Event Horizon scenario. Yeah. And we know that Ripley, of course, carries her trauma onto the rest of our sequels and also what makes... Franchise so incredible, and her character so incredible because we see the progression of her character as the movies go on, and it's diverse and it's interesting. They're also different in her path of of trauma and grief and everything through all of it. It's so incredible, and I really think that we should come back to this uh, the Alien franchise and Ripley in the future because there's so much there to to research and discover and appreciate and cherish. And I think that as a reminder for everyone to please see and read Jess's blog posts and my one review on Alien Resurrection on our website, which is devoted to this amazing series and this incredible woman.
0: So in this audio clip, editor of the Bram Stoker nonfiction nominated Horror in Space, critical essays on a film subgenre. genre Michelle Brittany highlights the concept of isolationism in space horror films such as Alien and Pandora.
2: Please note, there are spoilers. In space, no one can hear your scream. After decades of earthbound science fiction horror films, such as the 1950s Alien Invasion films, Ridley Scott and the crew of Zidnostrama ushered in a modern interpretation of the term space horror And since 1979 the film Alien and the many that followed have taken humanity across the galaxies and jeopardized our fragile existence in space overshadowed by adventure is the idea of being in space far from home is life-threatening because space explorers have limited precious resources oxygen food even other people that they must protect at all costs in these films Even though there is a small group of people, there is an undercurrent of fear because there can be no slacking on one's job when in space, where there is constant danger from within and without. Putting aside a ship's system malfunction or the inevitable run-in with a nasty alien race, hell-bent on annihilating all humans as quickly as possible and with maximum terror-ridden intensity within a cinematic framework, The idea of isolation is one of the most fascinating concepts because of the physical and psychological complexities that can be explored and analyzed through space horror films. There have been a number of studies undertaken to study the effects of isolation, resulting in, for example, disruption of sleep patterns, interference with logical and verbal reasoning, dementia, development of negative emotions, and distrust. Add in the elements of extreme danger that space travel poses, as well as being light years away from any help, and an individual's physical and psychological limits are severely tested. Let's briefly take a look at a couple of examples. The idea of being isolated and cut off from help becomes very clear during a dialogue between Lieutenant Payton and Corporal Bauer in the film Pandorum. Bauer believes that there has to be someone on the bridge of the ship who can help them because he sincerely believes that they are not alone. Peyton explains the crux of their situation Alone or not, we can't assume help will be coming. Out here, there is no rescue and there is no turning around. Later in the film, Gallo reveals that Pandorum refers to a psychological trauma. The biological side effects of flying deep space feeding into paranoia, and the paranoid brain feeding the side effects. A downward spiral, a descent into madness. The level headed Peyton is soon revealed to be suffering from severe trauma himself that led him to hallucinate Gallo, for instance, as a coping mechanism. And in Alien, tempers flare and distrust develop amongst the crew. For example, Ripley distrusts Ash because of his disregard for protocol, not to mention he also displayed an unhealthy fascination and admiration for the aliens. The psychological effects of isolation become physical, specifically for Ripley in the final scenes of the film when she has to initiate the ship's self-destruct sequence limiting her environment and resources to the small shuttle and then finally to the bare minimum, her own space suit. Isolation has become one of space horror's constant companions and often relied upon tropes. Humans are social and not wired to be isolated, so an interesting dichotomy exists between the fear of isolation with the wonder and awe of space exploration. And if any good or bad space horror film has taught us, No amount of preparation will prepare our space travelers for what lies beyond our galaxy, where they will be alone amongst the stars. We want to thank
1: Michelle for her incredible contribution to this month's podcast. I strongly recommend her book, uh, Horror in Space. I have it, and it's truly one of a kind, because there's not a lot of... There's definitely, I don't think, any other books and not a lot of research into the subgenre of space horror. So, it's amazing. And if you're interested at all in the subgenre, I highly recommend picking it up. It's wonderful. It goes into some John Carpenter films. We got some incredible information on Pandorum, lots of alien stuff. It's really quite fascinating. It's wonderful. So, now we're going to get into a film that most likely wouldn't have even been possible... And been created with the without the incredible and long-lasting influence of Alien, and that is the movie *Pandorum*.
0: out there
2: they didn't see me here little they're fast no No! i'm stronger than you know they come after you you run if you run and you don't look back help what's happened to us we're becoming like them oh my god my wife i've gotta find her before those animals do I can assume that help will be coming. Is that your blood? Some of it is. What happened to the passengers? You know, there's something wrong with them.
1: They were hunting.
0: How do you think you would react if you knew the truth?
1: so it turns out that many years ago I actually did watch this movie and but I think I fell asleep so in <laughs> I my mind see why. <laughs> in my mind it was completely brand new but as once I put it in and started watching it I thought oh yes I have seen some of this anyways but uh, <laughs> so I was glad to I guess revisit it and I really enjoyed watching it for the podcast
0: I this is my first time watching it I had never seen it like I said I don't typically seek out space horror um because it's a genre that really scares me and yeah I watched this film for the podcast
1: (laughs) (laughs) perfect but what did you like did you like anything about it
0: um not really (laughs) Oh, I actually did not care much for this so actually honestly between the the different space horror I had to watch this uh, month. Um, I actually preferred Apollo 18 to this movie. Oh!
1: <laughs> um, intriguing! Just because, like,
0: Apollo 18 scared me more than this film. This film, like, kind right. of, like, I didn't really understand the concept of Pandorum, like, this, the psychological el- element of it. Like, there's just, there just a lot of loose ends that just didn't make any sense to me. Um, and uh, the... Yeah, there's just things weren't really explained, and just uh, it just seemed very blah
1: as a film. Right,
0: right. Yeah. Okay. So,
1: well, I personally really, really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed the story. I love the action, the acting. Ben Foster always. And he is an actor that I enjoy anytime he's in something, but I could never actually tell you what he's in besides 30 Days of Night. (laughs) Besides 30 Days of Night in this movie. But I know him well. Anytime he's in, I'm like, oh, Ben Foster's in this? I'm watching this immediately. (laughs) And he played the um, Bauer character, the the handsome lead. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I thought it was really beautifully done and super grim. So I liked that. And I really enjoyed the humanoid weird mutated creatures definitely I thought those were really neat and scary
0: they remind me of orcs
1: oh yeah that's oh. interesting yeah. orcs
0: the orakai yeah. you know, right? <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh but in space oh
0: god space orakai oh, Lord, Lord of the, rings, Lord in Lord the space. rings in space
1: oh my god please somebody make that <laughs> <laughs> fantasy sci-fi war oh my goodness Somebody do
0: that,
1: please. <laughs> <laughs> and I also really liked the score. It was kind of like this okay, industrial yeah. the metal. The music
0: thing. was, yeah, the music was good. That had that like German industrial mm-hmm. music. I like mm-hmm. that. Yeah. 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 But yeah, yeah. I also did not like the ending, though. The ending kind of. I felt the ending was a bit of a cop out. It's like, oh, okay. <laughs>
1: oh yes, my the ending wasn't my favorite. I felt like it was a really quick wrap-up or like, oh, oh, this is yeah. what's happening. Oh, my God, I have to wrap my mind around it. And there's monsters trying to get into this into this room, and there's just everything happening at the same time that it took, you know, you really have to stop and try to think about what's just happening, what just happened and what's happening right now, which I don't usually like in a movie. I just want, I don't mind a quick wrap-up, but that was like too erratic and quick for my mm-hmm. eyes to to process and then my brain so i didn't like that well that's what i mean yeah <laughs> um and also nadia the, the the woman in the movie she kept whispering i was like why does she keep whispering i understand you got to be quiet and the men are speaking quietly but she was whispering the whole time and i'm like please stop i don't yeah. please stop <laughs> whispering i don't know well, what I- is happening
0: Every time she talked, I had to turn up the volume yes. to hear her speak, and then I would have to turn it down, because when the guys would speak, it would just be, like, really too loud. I was like, oh, okay. And it would be, like, like,
1: crazy action, and you have to really turn it down. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly.
1: So, I mean, I did, I did really like this movie, and I'm glad that I... I guess quote, unquote Blind bought it though I watched some of it at some point in my life um but not a lot of people know about this movie I don't really they hadn't really heard about it and I looked this up because mm-hmm. I couldn't even tell you how I remember hearing about it probably because it was like space horror and I'm into that but um they didn't apparently it didn't really have any marketing or advertising and it kind of just came out and then disappeared <laughs> And it didn't make that much money and it just kind of went away, and nobody talks about it. Though I think it m- maybe has a bit of a cult following. Maybe there's not enough people that like it to ha- be considered a cult following, but I. Interesting. Interesting ideas. I really liked it. So we're going to talk about isolation and psychological horror.
0: Yeah, so I think what I liked about this film, well, what I liked about this film and what I liked about Apollo 18 is how they emphasize the thing that terrifies me the most about space and that is being isolated and I think I remember when I was watching Apollo 18 and I was like texting you I was like oh my god (laughs) everything's too small it like really like Apollo 18 freaked me out because like it was just claustrophobic and you can't go anywhere and you're stuck and you're isolated you're on a moon or you're on in this vastness of space and you're like this tiny speck in this small like little cramped like machine and I'm just like oh my god this is terrifying and this is actually something that is actual um a real thing that people who uh astronauts when they travel to space actually have to deal with um there's uh, one of the articles I had read there do they recently just um launched a a museum exhibit at the Science and Tech Museum here in Ottawa, which is all about uh, living in, like, life in space, like, what it's actually like for astronauts, and they really wanted to address the ideas of um, what astronauts have to deal with in terms of facing depression and isolation and how really dangerous it is um, to be traveling in space. So, and a lot of times, because it's a different atmosphere and it's a different element, a lot of space travelers do actually experience hallucinations, um, and they have a tendency to act out or have abnormal brain electrical electrical activity as things are happening. So we've seen that in Pandorum, or actually the concept of Pandorum, like the movie is called Pandorum, but it's actually called, like, it's about an actual space condition, like where you start to go crazy in the brain. Like, that, I never, I didn't really catch that. Like, they talked about it a bit in the film, but not too much. Well, it's like, no, the whole film was about that. But, um, so typically whenever people are preparing for space, they do a lot of, a lot of simulations. Like, they go like a year or two of just being in like deep, deep water, trying to live what it's like learning in space. They deal like with simulations, like when they're traveling to Mars, they have to, you know, they check to see how people are going to be. And not everyone can go in space. Not everyone could go out and and actually function. So, because I have to check, like, your sleep patterns change drastically. You end up sleeping longer. You end up uh, sleeping shorter. You're more likely to experience depression. Um, At least one issue feared before humans even made into orbit has... uh, Oh, so okay. there's This whole idea. The Freudian psychi- psychiatrist has sep- speculated that the separation from Mother Earth could lead to a pathological separation anxiety, where the temptation to escape through suicide into oblivion may be accompanied by an urge to destroy the space vehicle and the rest of the crew. That's fucked. So this is right. <laughs> separation right? anxiety. We, oh God. And that and that's what we experience when we watch *Pandorum*. Right? It's like yeah. when when they found out that Earth was destroyed. That. Dennis's Quaid character went insane and realized, like, we have nowhere to go, we can't go back to Earth, and so he starts to go mad yeah. because he's separated from Earth and destroys the space vehicle and the rest of the crew, okay? Exactly, right? but yeah, That's an actual fear. Um, and like I said, the selection process is very precise for crew members. They are constantly doing simulations to try and figure out all these, because there's a lot of uh, brain, like, there's, they end up having a lot of brain problems, because space exploration takes a lot of toll on the human body and mind. And research, research shows that space missions cause the brain's gray matter to deteriorate in a manner similar to aging, but at a faster Jesus. rate. So essentially, when you go into space, you're aging a lot faster than you would on Earth. You know what's crazy is that as people, and like as children, you think that
1: as astronauts, it's like this crazy, wonderful, glamorous, very cool <laughs> job to have, but it's not. <laughs>
0: And that's actually why they done, they did this exhibit. This, yeah. uh, they're, they're doing this exhibit right now is to actually show people like, yeah, being an astronaut, it can be cool, yeah. but it's not very glamorous. No. There are things that you really have to go through. You know, you're separated from, like astronauts are separated from their families, significant others for a very long period of time, and they're forced into cramped spaces with people and seeing the same people day in and day out, and conflict is going to arise, right? And so you have to learn how to live a life, a this type of life with other people because you have no other way in, of existing. You're cut off from the rest of humanity. You're in extreme solitary. You have this heightened awareness of being by yourself. You're really alone. You're floating in space. There's no background noise of life. Right? Like, even like, you could be at home in your own home and it could be quiet, but you're still hearing like a truck outside or something like that. Yep. Not in space. Ugh. You hear nothing. The vastness. You, you just, the
1: absolute vastness. Right? And
0: quiet. Ugh. Yes. <laughs> and... Literally you are you know like they they have this thing called like the overview effect So when astronauts are in space and they are looking at the world they have said they a lot of astronauts They feel like the experience is like critical new perspective that can transform their lives But it can make them feel extremely lonely and extremely detached and here's another thing so one of the things articles I read was talking about like having the paranormal on a spaceship and how terrifying that is because like yeah it's already terrifying as it is you're isolated you're alone you're with the same people if you hate the crew you're stuck with them so you're trying not to kill each other in a way of you know because as humans we all have ego so we're all at one shape or form going to fight with one another but if you have something terrifying on a ship as we saw an alien you have no way out you're like, you want to get into an escape pod? Sure, go into an escape pod. What's it going to do? It's just going to suck you out into the vacuum of space. Where are you going to go? <laughs> and I remember thinking, I remember thinking that like at the end of Pandora, I'm like, okay, so they just, you know, spoiler everyone, they get sucked out and they're onto like the water of the planet. Oh. But part of me was like, wait a second, wait, wait a second. Why do we have escape pods on on spacecrafts anyway? Like, like pods like that like a space like a space like shuttle that gets you off that makes sense like you can get off and you can fly away somewhere like yeah. with Ripley but a space pod that ejects you yeah and then you're just a pod floating in space and just
1: hoping i guess that's just the decision you make right do you just die on the hoping. ship or you just hope
0: that If you go into the skate pod, someone's going to pick you up and hopefully your life support stays and doesn't get damaged because always, always happens that somehow life support gets damaged in some way, shape, or form. So yeah, (laughs) space contains everything we fear it has the dark it has the unknown it has isolation you're trapped you have no idea what's going on you can you don't even really know what's happening out there and you don't even know if you'll survive so that's why space is horrifying as kelly has said in her in her, in her reviews before stay the fuck on earth there's no
1: need to go into space as you can tell we're both very deeply Affected by space horror and space overall. <laughs> it's been a very upsetting month. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, yes, and as we see in Aliens, you know, Al- uh, Ripley and Jonesy go off, and it's what, I think it was 57 years later, she gets found. And now you have to deal with that. At least she was found. But now it's like, oh, her daughter is dead. And here we are on this in this new life. And it's just, it's very upsetting. Or she could not have been found and then just died. You know what I mean? So it's just, it's so crazy. <sighs> I feel anxiety still. So in in sci-fi horror, uh, I mentioned this a bit earlier about, um, you know, this isolation and stuff like that. And our survivors of any kind of trauma in, in our sci-fi horror, they can be seen as hysteric. They go through hallucinations. Their memories haunt them. And so when they're on back on Earth, if they ever get there... Uh, They can be perceived to be safe. But, you know, they're still experiencing their horror. They're still experiencing their trauma. I keep kind of bringing up aliens. We'll definitely get into that at some point in our lives. But, you know, nobody believes Ripley, you know. And it's, uh, you know, if you think about what's going to happen in Pandora. we don't see this at the end. But, you know, all those escape pods out of just an automatic uh, ejection from the ship due to the hull breach, you know, if the survivors of that crazy movie and that crazy experience start explaining to the other people what happened, they may or may not actually believe them because it sounds really crazy, right? And they'll likely be traumatized and have to relive it in their minds over and over again probably be an emotional thing not only dealing with that trauma but uh, recovery from that Pandorum effect um, survivors are, are not often seen in their right mind so to speak because um, often they don't have any proof of What happened to them in all aspects of life, not even just in space horror. You know, they're pathological. They're maybe seen as mentally ill and unstable. They're seen as unreliable sources and powerless. So trauma can cause people to turn into aliens or the other, and then we reject them from society. So as humans, we're social creatures, we thrive on companionship, even if you're super introverted like Jess, and (laughs) you'd probably rather just sit in the tub at a party. Um Oh my god. Thanks. (laughs) Too many people in one space. Exactly. But isolation, like Jess was talking about, can cause incredibly harmful effects from the lack of our stimulation. Mm -hmm. Yes, So the studies in astronauts astronauts show the negative side effects of a monotonous environment and that physical isolation. They can start feeling negative, uh, you know, negativity and distrust towards outsiders and even sometimes the artificial intelligence on the ship. And this increases with the severity of their isolation, the length of time that they're on the ship. That just gets worse and worse. Uh, The physical isolation. So if they need help, you cannot find it. You know, you can't find somebody or a different ship or anybody else to consult if there's any kind of problem solving you have to do. Then there's that danger of being alone when a threat happens. So either a physical danger from like an enemy, an alien, if there's a geographical issue. It's kind of crazy. (laughs) you just can't get help when you need it Uh, so uh, you know that isolation and that psychological kind of trauma and horror you know creates a rich rich space for us to explore our innermost fears and we can see that fear on the screen you know projected back onto us so the fear created by isolation can become our tool for survival and what are you willing and capable of doing to survive And we'll look into that when we talk about Pandora more specifically.
0: Yeah, so it was really interesting in terms of like, like I have thoughts around this film, but not many thoughts because it wasn't really something I really enjoyed. But I like this film is often overlooked and is actually critically dismissed quite often. And it was really interesting that one article that I read talked about how it is a film filled with claustrophobic dread. I get that. The whole scene of Bauer going oh. through the ventilation or wherever he's in. Once again, oh, they're always in vents. Always in vents See? in space. They're you always
1: in fucking vents. <laughs> <laughs> um, back to Dead Space. I told you, watch the vents. Oh, God. They're always coming out of vents. They're always coming
0: in events. And that's very, like, that's very unsettling. It's claustrophobic and really small, tight spaces. You have to like check around corners and anything could come out of anywhere. So it also has the element. It was really interesting. They also said an element of Lovecraftian terror. So oh, maybe. Here
1: we go again.
0: <laughs> so it's like maybe in the idea of the creatures, or as, like, I don't even know if they, the creatures, they, because I guess the creatures are like evolved humans that had been, that had gone out of the pods after time and, like, maybe, like, and they were just representative of the, of the total breakdown of society in terms of, like, those who survive and those who go into complete chaos. Uh,
1: Definitely. And they were essentially created by space.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah, and like, that would have been interesting <laughs> to understand more of these characters and maybe Anagia talked about them, but because she whispered all the time, I had no fucking idea what she was saying. Uh, <laughs> but... I think this film was a good it was you know it was a good representation when I think back cuz they said like Dennis's Quaid character suffered from orbital dysfunction syndrome or pandorum. And I thought that was really interesting because yeah, it does really it does talk about the idea of what it can feel like when you are isolated from your home planet. You know, you you're forced to leave Earth, you're still you have this attachment to it. And then you know, when you find out that that your planet's gone, like I, I yeah, I can understand that you would become a little unhinged but at the same time too all the i have all these questions of like well why wasn't things like that monitored what are these crews doing where are the scientific offers on these because like i also know in like like hey okay so i may not like space horror but i do like space stuff so i'm a big i'm a big star trek fan so i i have all these questions of like well you would have a science officer or you would have a psychologist who <laughs> would go in and check in to make sure that you're doing okay and what's going on with you and so i was like where did all that happen it was just like just like it just seemed like kind of like this they're they're calling. oh yeah and the other thing about space you're always colonizing you always want to bring other people with you and you always have like thousands of human lives that you are responsible for so i thought that was really interesting in that film and the aspect of the loss of civilization has this idea of savagery versus solidarity and you see that throughout the film where you have these savage monsters but they're also together Like, they they work together as a team, Mm -hmm. whereas the surviving humans are, you know... You see Nadia, like, attacking um, Bauer, Mm -hmm. and then when Bauer rescued Shepard, which, hint, hint, Norman Reedus was Shepard. Totally. (laughs) I looked I was like, hey, is that him? I know, right? I was like, wait a second, that guy looks really familiar. And I'm like, it's Norman Reedus. But it it shows this idea of, like, these two are flight officers, but that whole breakdown of, like, I'm on my own. I'm fucking isolated. I need to survive. So, you're on your, like, fuck you. So, always that human idea of, we're not going to work together to deal with the issue. We're going to work apart. We're going to be separate because I can't trust you. And that's always that, and that's very prevalent yes. in this film. And we will see that. We see that with Dennis's Quaid character as he's, you know, ends up struggling with this inner turmoil within that he can't trust anyone of what's happening.
1: Completely. Yeah, exactly. You know, sci fi horror, I find it's always so visceral. And there's, you know, you can see a lot of body horror in it, and it's more reasons to absolutely love it. So. There is, uh, just you definitely touched on this, and I'm going to go further into it. But there is, you're right, when they get that message from Earth saying, Yep, you're our last hope, you can't come back here, keep moving on. Because the idea for it was to go on to a new planet, and of course, I don't remember the name, I didn't make note of it, but to Tanis, right, Tanis, to. You know, because we destroyed our own planet, let's go to a new (laughs) one and then destroy that one. I really, it angers me so much. Every time, right? Every time. They're like, oh, we destroyed this one. Let's just take our incredible huge spaceship carrying like 100,000 people. And it's called cross-generational space travel because you're going to live and die in that ship. And the end result is to have enough people to colonize this new planet. So they say essentially like... There's no one to rescue you and you can't turn around. So this ship is like, that's it. They're completely isolated. There's no turning back. They have to carry on with this journey, this epic, epic journey. And some people could go, that could cause you to go a little out of your mind because that's, a very isolating kind of experience and you don't know how what's going to happen as we know it's so tumultuous of an issue like these these journeys you just don't know what's going to happen so these people are all that's left and that causes him to have that mental break so they can't go back to their place called home and they have to live and die on the ship so it comes down to this feeling of being lost in space which is a, rel- a relative common theme Theme in sci-fi horror. So a ship is lost in space, generally speaking, without a known return to Earth. So in Pandorum, you have sacrificial abandonments and disappearances. So we have like open endings. We just don't know what's going to happen. The characters fear their unknown fate as they're kind of lost in space. Um, and this unknown fate of the characters transfers, you know, into our imagination as movie watchers. And then we have the fear of the unknown, and we have this complete like empathy for these people. So in Pandorum this loss in space type feeling causes like a reflect it causes a collective anxiety of loss of identity and individuality. Wow. Mm. And yeah. this causes tension in the movie because the created by the characters they have this emotional response to being quote-unquote taken over by this like greater Situation that's completely out of their control, and now they're giving up on their responsibilities and actions, right? Mm-hmm. No one's in charge now. No one cares. It's all about survival. There's no authority, and it's every person for themselves, like Jess was saying. like The humans are just like, nope, total breakdown in society. Nobody's in charge, and I'm just going to do my own thing, and I'm just going to survive. It's a dog-eat-dog world, and that's what we're going to do. But our quote-unquote savages... Yeah, they stick together, they hunt together, they do stuff together, because in order to survive, they know you stick together. You don't go off on your own.
0: No, (laughs) never. You don't do that. It's
1: power in numbers, right?
0: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. That's why they do so well, those sea savages. like. (laughs) let's talk about Nadia so I don't have too too much to say
1: about Nadia I mean besides her terrible whispering which made it just like very challenging to to watch her as a character but I liked her I found she was violent I liked her mistrust I was like oh she's just like fight first ask questions later (laughs) Very mysterious, but she was a survivor, and she's like, I'm just gonna survive. I know what to survive. I know what to do. She was strong. She was also tenacious. Like, she was a really. I liked her overall as a character. I liked seeing her, and she was the only female in that, essentially. So.
0: Which, you bring up a really interesting point. Yeah, like, she was the only female in this film, and I thought, yeah, she was always like, you know, shoot first, questions later type thing. But the one thing I picked up on that bothered me, and that was out of place for her character, mm-hmm was the alien child. Right. How she reacts when she sees the alien child. Like, it just was completely out of character. Like, the whole time, she's like, she's treating these, she's educating these guys. Like, no, these things are killers. They're going to kill us. Like, we just need to take care of ourselves, protect ourselves. And they come across the alien child. And the one guy is about to go kill it. She's like, oh, God, no, don't kill it. And you're like, wait. Wouldn't you be the first one to kill this thing? Like, you know more than anyone else that this is this is a dangerous. Yeah. But her maternal instincts mm. come into play, and she's like, "Oh no, we can't kill the child." Right. right. And they're like, "No, the child's going to lead them right to us." And I thought that was really interesting, and in how they go complete deviation of her character, and like this possible love story happening between her and Bauer kind of started creeping mm. in. I kind of mm-hmm. got like a little. So it was like, "Was she softening because she's with a, a stronger man, or something like that?" And now she's not a like. The, the same kind of fighter. Like, she gets injured. Um, and so now she's, like, a damsel in distress because, like, Bauer and the guys kind of have to protect her. So I found that... I feel like from that moment on, there was, like, complete deviation from her character, which which bothered me in the end. Because then at the end, when you see the other guy fighting the one alien and you see the alien child come back again... Yeah. And he's just like, Oh, no, I won't kill you. And then the alien child kills him. like, Dude, we saw that coming. Like... Yes. You know, it's... <laughs> Sometimes
1: you you just never cease to amaze me. The things that you see in movies that I don't see, and your insight is great, Jess. Um, Thank you. <laughs> like I, I, when you said that, I'm like, oh, I did notice her hesitation, which is really annoying because you, like you said, you know, just as well or better than everybody else that the you cannot, you're not trusting any of these creatures. That's not the point. You know. You don't, these creatures are here to 100% survive, and what they're mm-hmm. going to do to survive is to kill you, you. despite yeah. age. If we know anything about any type of society that, human or not, <laughs> that even young ones <laughs> understand that they have to survive, so you cannot. It's not like it was an infant, <laughs> you know? Yeah, no, it was like, it like a was, teenager. Y-
0: yeah. Right? But imagine, right? Mm-hmm. Like, imagine if they had that scene where she killed the alien child. People would have been pissed. Probably a woman killing a child. Oh, how mon- like she's a monster yeah. because she did not, you know. Not- so she's kind of not seen as savage because she has this maternal instinct in her to be like, no, we will not kill this other species' child, even though that that species that child ends up killing one of your teammates, your team members later. Totally. And that makes me sound completely heartless. But
1: <laughs> no, but it's true, right? Either they're gonna you kill them or they kill you. That's just like the fact of the matter in this movie and in this this life that. That they're living in this experience that they have to have. Like, you have to kill them, that's just, or they're gonna kill you. So you can either choose what you want, right?
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. But there's that whole idea like, you don't see babies or children killed in horror films. Or when you do, yeah. it's really upsetting. As we've talked about in Pet Cemetery in episode eight. Yes, last month's episode, Pet Cemetery, <laughs> episode eight. Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs>
0: uh, so, really, those are all, really my thoughts on Pandorum. I don't, I didn't have too many, um, in the sense like it definitely did speak to the ideas of claustrophobia and isolation, but when in everything that terrifies me about space horror. But the moment I got the idea of those alien evolved creatures as orcs in my mind they became less scary they became less scary to me i was just like okay
1: space orcs orcs don't scare you is that what you're saying orcs don't scare me okay (laughs) intriguing watch one of those come out of your closet this evening and tell me what you think (laughs) (laughs) oh boy so pandora i think had had more to say, and again, there's not much research on it. But in this wonderful space horror book, there's a bunch on it, which is really wonderful. So coming back to the loss of identity that we, you know, these characters have, so characters that give into this kind of aspect of being taken over by these situations, they completely lose themselves. Uh, so there's uh, the tension between the physical appearance of humans and their improper behavior is what can create horror in sci-fi horror. So Vivian Carol Shubchak. She wrote, The Limits of Infinity, the American science fiction film. So a quote from her was, what is so visually devastating and disturbing about the sci-fi uh, horror films is uh, the taken over humans is the small and therefore terrible incongruence between the ordinariness of their form and the final extraordinariness of their behavior, however, however hard they try to remain undetected and quote-unquote normal. So in Pandora, we see this... Uh, we have this unreliable narrator, so we have our characters. They're experiencing hallucinations, that pandorum effect, and we think that is there a human taking care of the ship? Is there the alien species taking care of the ship? We don't really kind of know what's happening because we can't trust either one. <laughs> um, and then we have because the the violent outbreaks um, end up causing these creatures to exist so we just don't know what's real or just a hallucination so these characters you know have these feelings that cause self-destruction they turn against themselves and society due to this unknown fate like what else are they going to do and they just immediately go to that so Laura the flies and so time in in essence kind of becomes endless they become detached from any goals in life, any sense of purpose and then the characters become alienated from society. They just completely detach themselves from it. So that transmits the fear of the unknown and that uncertain fate and future to the viewer. And then coming back to the idea of trauma in sci-fi horror like we talked about earlier so the trauma upon our characters due to these experiences that they have in these films make them seem as mentally unwell, they're unreliable they're out of their minds. And we know that society rejects these types of people. And then their stories don't create any impact. That people don't really believe them. They just don't take them as seriously as they should. And then these people aren't able to process their trauma. They go into this complete loop of experience and they can't progress. Society excludes, them, uh, sorry, excludes those that show any kind of mental instability as a sign of self-preservation. You're like, nope, we're going to take you out. You're our weakest link. And we're going to carry on with our quote-unquote stronger, you know, aspect of society and our stronger people. So in Pandorum, this exclusion creates these weird mutated humanoids that evolve in the ship and of the ship. It's really kind of crazy. So because the people end up having these hallucinations, yes, that bridge corporal sends them all to the cargo bay where they have to... Experience that isolation, the trauma of everything, and they cannibalize each other and then create these crazy creatures. So instead of trying to socialize these people early on in the process, you probably can't socialize them now. Um, we don't have a time frame, but thinking of, you know, Dennis Quaid's character as an adult male, so he's probably maybe in his 40s, and as like the young guy, maybe he's twenty, so maybe it's like twenty-five years later. We don't know. They never say the your time frame, um, so you don't know. And how long it took for them to create these creatures of like inbreeding and cannibalizing them and everything. So in the in the early phases, so instead of socializing these mutants, quote unquote, that were created by this whole kerfuffle, they just kill them instead so they exclude them they kill them and carry on with our stronger humans which I thought was an interesting way to to look at the movie and look at those creatures in that kind of way so might be more to this movie than you know a lot of people think and I think more research could be done into this movie and I really did like it and I liked what I read about it and I think it had some interesting things to, to say there
0: so time for our spinsters final thoughts Ah, so my final thoughts: space horror. It's all about isolation, fear of the foreign. You have ideas of classism, sexism, the unknown, darkness, the vastness of space, and how terrifying that is. So, in all in all, space horror, while it is a, uh, it's still I feel like it's a, still an underdeveloped genre in the horror genre. It is truly terrifying, and I really think that. It'd be really interesting to see where more of this goes over time and various aspects of how space horror the different ideas that we can you explore so because I, I, I know we do alien like aliens coming to the our earth and you know we do the abduction horror which is also very terrifying to me as well but You know, like I know the sci like I know sci-fi genre is predominantly you know dominated by just the sci-fi genre as itself, like it's as the container as itself. It's either like more fantasy or it's kind of like you know or very scientifically based, like you know the whole Star Trek series, or you're gonna have like something like Firefly that is like this like space cowboy kind of attitude to it. But the idea that being in space is truly horrifying like even there's elements in each of those uh series like star trek and like firefly where there are elements of completely horrifying elements you know you have like in star trek you have the borg which is a a species of people who just go and they assimilate you and you're you lose all identity and all sense of self you're assimilated by this other uh species of alien and then you have um in firefly you have these terrifying reavers which we have no idea who these are and they come onto your ships so I just think it's a genre that can can we can still continue to explore more despite how much it terrifies me. and also what I love about this series, uh, the Alien series is once again we get Ellen Ripley and it's really interesting because like as myself has been, I've been getting into the horror genre more and I've always found there's always been fictional, inspirational, strong women for me throughout my life uh, we've, I've had to always like look towards Xena. Um, you know vampire like all these different elements but like for some reason ellen ripley really sings to me because it, i feel like i can really relate to her as as a as a character as an individual as her struggles you know what what you have to do when you're forced into these leadership positions that you didn't really ask for but you know you just have to do it so you can protect your crew to protect your life to protect yourself and that's what i really enjoy about the film alien that's what i enjoy about the alien series and uh, hopefully, you know, over time, I won't get so terrified and I won't have so many nightmares. Why <laughs> it's like I can only revisit this series like every couple years because I I, I like to sleep. I enjoy sleep. <laughs> <laughs> lots of nightmares, lots of restless nights. So yeah, Kelly, your final thoughts.
1: My final thoughts are definitely going to mirror yours, and in, in a lot of ways, um, yeah. Space horror, I think, is my new favorite subgenre. I always liked it. But, you know, after watching some different movies and watching this whole, like, Alien 1 through 4, reading more about it with my space horror book. I guess it's horror in space. It's just, it's fascinating. It's probably one of the most horrific that I've seen. The imagery is, I don't think it, it, you've seen much like this anywhere else in any of the other subgenres. So I, too, am curious to see if anybody else tries to do any more kind of space horror they can think of unique original refreshing ideas I would be a hundred percent all over watching that it's fantastic and just rich and ripe for horror and themes and strong female characters for sure so yes I re-watched Alien 1 through 4 in a different kind of order but I watched 1, 4 and then 2 and 3 and I have found re-watching them and my research this month and looking into Ellen Ripley, what a, it's just been such an emotional, enlightening, and incredibly frightening month for me. Xenomorphs are the things that, since a child, has terrified me the most. And I have been watching so many things with aliens in them, with xenomorphs in them, sorry, that I've also had nightmares and it's been just reading about that incredible franchise has been so amazing for me and you know, just been such an enlightening experience and I have an absolutely newfound love and adoration for this franchise because there's so much there to look into and to, you know, have some self-reflection on. And then we, again, we have Ripley. We cannot talk about the Alien franchise without this incredible woman. And the emotional part of watching this series is, you know, watching it now, you know, one through four, you know, evaluating it, researching it, looking further into it. I was so deeply moved by her plight and her story arc and everything throughout it. And I love Alien as her like initial throwing her into this leadership role that she did so gracefully and Mm -hmm. then carrying on and seeing how her life and death progresses and then her resurrection and what I I see myself in her and she has now officially become tied with Buffy my favorite woman in horror completely and thinking of Ripley and Buffy, so another aspect that was super emotional for me is when I rewatched Alien 3 this month, because I wanted to watch everything and just horrify myself, but then I was super <laughs> intrigued by everything I was reading and just wanted to just re-watch everything. It had been a f- number of years since I did, and seeing the parallels between these two fantastic strong warrior women and Ripley's death at the end of Alien 3 and Buffy's death at the end of The Gift in season 5 as I was crying and thinking about these parallels because Buffley still deeply moves me, I, it just, I don't know. It kind of just changed my perspective on things and I absolutely adore both these women. And now I've been inspired to write a piece on it for, for next month. So look for that at the end of next month, my Ripley and Buffy kind of parallel lives, uh, piece. So I'm really looking forward to that. So that ends our episode on the horrific exploration of Alien and Pandorum. Happy anniversary, Alien! <laughs> <laughs> we want to thank Dance of the Dead for our intro-outro music, Beast, and Brandon for all of his work on our promotional materials. Also, thank you to all of you listeners. We want to remind you to follow us on our website, spinstersofhorror.com, our Facebook, Spinsters of Horror.
0: We're also on Twitter, at Horror Spinsters, and Instagram, at Spinsters of Horror. As well, please rate and review us on SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, and any podcasting app that you listen to us on. And a reminder, we also have merch. Please visit TeePublic to purchase one of our t-shirts or buy one of our stickers from our shop located on the website. So next month, we start our explorations into a beloved TV series, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. (gasps) Yes! (laughs) Oh my god. We'll be... Kelly is so excited. We'll be doing a part one of three-part series into the show, our heroine and and her everlasting influence. So until then, remember... The future of fear is female.